Let's take our Bibles and turn to the passage just read, Romans chapter 15, as we now near the end of the book of Romans. Romans 15, verses 14 through 21 is our passage today. As you're turning there, let me just start with this. This is kind of personal, so let me just get it out. When I was in college, about 20 years ago, I had this amazing encounter with the Lord. And I I may have shared this already. I, I can't remember if I've shared this from the pulpit. But... What I experienced in college is really the impetus that led me to ministry, led me to seminary, led me to Illinois. And I I remember it very vividly. I I was living in Longview, Texas. I was studying uh, finance and nearing the end of my program. I was living with some friends, some roommates. I hadn't yet met Sonia, so this was my, you know, before Sonia days. And as I was... Praying and seeking the Lord, I I just became overwhelmed by a sense of his presence. I can't even really describe what it was like. And I, I was just filled with a sense that God was in the room with me. I had this divine sense of joy in my heart like I had never experienced before. It was uncanny. And, they, and there was some fear mixed up in it, too. Not fear like I was afraid for my life, but, you know, the good kind of fear, fear of the Lord. It was this holy sense of God's power and his glory. And I remember in that moment, just saying to the Lord and repeating over and over again, I surrender, Lord. (laughs) I surrender. I'll do anything you want me to do, wherever you want me to do it. I surrender, Lord. I, I just kept saying that over and over again to the Lord. I surrender. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And that few months after this, so I mean, I had this incredible experience with the Lord, and uh, that's really what led me to ministry, led me to Moody, led me to seminary. And, and I remember talking to Sonia a few months later. This is, okay, so now I met Sonia, right? And I told her, you know, if this thing works, if we date, if we get married, you know, I just want you to know I've been called by the Lord to ministry, some kind of ministry. And I don't know what it is. So we might end up in the jungles of Africa someday and you gotta be willing to do that. And praise God, she said, sure, I'm all in. And you know, I think back to that time in my life and my own call, I see that as my call to vocational ministry. And I've had several similar instances like that in my life, but nothing as potent as that, what I experienced in college. But I do often say to the Lord, I do often pray, I surrender, Lord. Every day, even. I surrender, Lord. I'll do whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to do it. Now listen, not all of us in this room, not everybody watching online, we're not all called to full-time vocational ministry. I understand that. I don't want to give that impression. You know, this is not a call this morning, this sermon, to call you all to be pastors. But I do think that there's a heart, a mindset, a heart for God that Paul is trying to cultivate among the people of God. And Paul does this by expressing autobiographically the thing that he went through. 
And so, yeah, not all of us are called to full-time ministry, but I hope all of you this morning are called to say, I surrender, Lord. I'll do whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to do it. I surrender. In fact, that's my goal, that you would get to that place like Paul, where you, you have that heart for God that is fully and completely given over to him. And for some of you, that, I mean, that means staying in Decatur, Illinois, serving Harvest Decatur, serving your family, working for a local employer. We need people like that in Decatur and in this church doing that. For some of you, and I don't want to discount this, for some of you, that might mean a call to do something radical, to go into ministry full-time or to even, like Paul says in this passage, be willing to go where the gospel has never been preached and where Jesus has never been named. No matter what, my desire for us today as we study Scripture today is for all of us to come to a place before I'm done where we say together, I surrender, Lord. We surrender, Lord. We'll do whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to do it. Paul shows us this. Paul shows us a heart for God in three different categories. Let me show you them from the text. He models a heart for God for us. A heart to serve, first of all, we'll see. A heart of humility, and then a heart for the gospel. Let's look at all three of those one by one. First of all, a heart to serve. Paul models for us a heart to serve. Paul says this in verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. You know, this is an important verse right here, an important sentence that is transitioning to the end of the book. But as you can see, there's several verses left. This is not the end of the end. This is the beginning of the end. And Paul still has a lot of things to say in this conclusion to the church in Rome. But I want you to see that this is a transitional sentence as well, because we just got done with Paul rebuking this church for the last chapter and a half, because they weren't getting along. They were divisive. There were people in the church that were all hung up on diet and days, and there were others, the strong believers, that were judging the weak believers. The weak believers were judging the strong believers. They weren't getting along, and Paul rebuked them. But we see here that Paul says, even though there's that possibility for division, this is, this is a good church. This, I mean, it's not a perfect church, but it's not a dysfunctional church. It's, it's, it's not an unhealthy church. There's goodness there, Paul says in verse 14. There is knowledge there, and they're able to instruct one another on these matters, Paul says. That's a sign of maturity. And Paul says in verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. In other words, you're a good church, church in Rome, but you needed some bold admonitions from an apostle. You need to be challenged on some stuff. Paul needed to play good cop and bad cop with the church in Rome. And he, he's got some good things to say about him, but he had, to, he had to challenge them too. He had to be bold with them on some stuff by way of reminder. I have written to you very boldly, he says, by way of reminder. Why? Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God 
Paul's telling you about his calling here, what God has called him to do, to minister to the Gentiles. Now let's just stop here for a moment. Everybody see in verse 16, there's that word minister, if you have an ESV Bible. It's a, it's a fascinating word. It's the Greek word liturgos, and it denotes a kind of priestly ministry, liturgos. You, you might even hear the word liturgy in that Greek word, liturgos. And we could translate this word servant or minister or assistant. Paul had been given a calling to serve the Gentiles. Paul was used mightily by the Lord to take the gospel beyond Jerusalem and beyond Israel to the four corners of the Roman Empire. I mean, we today in this room are the beneficiaries of what Paul did by going outside of Israel, by fulfilling scripture, by telling pagan Gentiles about Jesus. By the way, just so you know, we have more in common with those pagan Gentiles that Paul ministered to than the Jews in Israel in Paul's day. Y'all get that, don't you? We have more, I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you. You have more in common with pagan Gentiles that Paul ministered to than the Jews in Israel. Alistair and Sonny and I, we've been, we've been watching that, the show The Chosen, and, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about that show and what Dallas Jenkins is doing with that show. Because you look at the, the actors who are playing, you know, Mary and John and Peter, they have... They don't look like us, right? I mean, they have olive-colored skin, and they have dark hair and dark hair and dark eyes. They look Jewish, and Jesus doesn't have an American accent. That's great, and they, and they don't have blonde hair and blue eyes like you know Jesus did in the children's Bible I had when I was a kid. They look like like Jews. And a Jewish man named Paul, who had studied the Jewish scriptures his entire life and who submitted to a Jewish Messiah, was called to preach the gospel to Gentiles and become a minister to the Gentiles. Not just an apostle. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. He says that elsewhere. But he was a liturgos. He was a servant, a minister. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, a liturgos of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Whew, there's a lot going on in that sentence. What's Paul saying there? Let me summarize it. Paul's saying that God has called him to be a servant to the Gentiles, and Paul has gone after that task like bees go after making honey. Like a, like a beaver goes after the task of damming up water. Paul has gone after this task uh, like a priest offers up sacrifices. And instead of offering up the blood of bulls and goats, he has offered up the Gentiles as a holy, acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. I know that sounds kind of weird. He's offering us up as Gentiles up as a sacrifice. It's, it's metaphor, okay? Just relax. It's not real human sacrifices. He's speaking as somebody who is worshiping the Lord by ministering to Gentiles. You might even remember Romans 12.1, where Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Great verse. Remember that? Now Paul's saying that part of his own personal sacrifice has been to offer up others as a sacrifice. 
These other Gentiles that he's ministering to that are getting saved. It's part of this priestly work that he's doing. And they're being sanctified continually by the Holy Spirit. The Lord is using him, even in the writing of the book of Romans, to sanctify them by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is really helpful because here's why this is helpful. I think sometimes the Christian life, it can feel like it's, it's all about me. You know, what am I doing? How am I growing as a Christian? How are you growing as a Christian individually? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? You have your time of devotions? Good, 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 good. And all of that is good. It is, it is all good that you are personally growing as a disciple, that you are personally offering up your body as a living sacrifice. But Paul says part of that is also serving other people, is ministering to other people, is making disciples, not just being a disciple. How's that going, Harvest Decatur? We say it this way. Harvest Decatur exists to make mature disciples who worship, walk, and work for Christ. Have you all ever heard me say that before? Only a million times. We want disciples who walk with Christ and work for Christ. Not just, not just growing in your own spiritual life, not just walking with Christ, but also working for Christ. If you're just walking for, with Christ and not working for Christ, you are not in the right state of discipleship. And, and the same is the other way too. If you're just working for Christ, you're not walking with Christ, that's not good either. We need both of those things. Paul's saying, I've done both of those. I've offered my body as a living sacrifice and I've also served other people, Gentiles. I've, I've helped them grow in order that they, they even are walking with Christ, growing, being sanctified in the Holy Spirit. This is how I flesh it out personally. Okay, let me just speak of how I translate this to my own calling. When I think about my own life and service for the Lord, I don't just think about my walk with the Lord. I think about how I'm doing ministering to others. How am I doing ministering to my son who God has called me to disciple? How am I doing ministering to my wife who God has called me to husband? How am I doing for my church that God has called me to pastor? Am I ministering to them? Am I serving them? Am I offering up you guys as a sacrifice before the Lord? I hope that doesn't weird you out. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. Because we, we don't just run off into the wilderness and hide from people like monks trying to get close to God. That is not how the Bible describes discipleship. That is not how we live out our lives in this world. We walk with Christ and we work, with, work for Christ. We serve others. Paul modeled that. He modeled this liturgy, this service. He shows us how to serve others as a demonstration of a heart for God. What does Paul model for us? I love God. I've been given grace by God. In response to that, I'm going to love and serve the people of God that I've been called to. R. Kent Hughes says it this way. You can read this on the screen. He said, if only we could see our service as liturgy, as worship, our lives would be transformed. A pie baked for a neighbor becomes an offering to God. That is so good. A child held in nursery, let's say, and loved is a liturgy. An employee treated with dignity and is a beatitude. The gospel shared is a song in heaven's court, a Sunday school class well taught of fragrance to God. I might add to that, every time you bring a meal to a person who needs a meal, 
You're acting like a priest offering up a sacrifice to the Lord. That is a great service to that person and to the Lord. Every time you share the gospel with an unbeliever, you are acting like a priest offering up a sacrifice before the Lord. Every time you go on a short-term mission trip, every time you encourage a discouraged person, every time you use that gift that God has given you to bless other people, it's as if you're offering up a sacrifice to the Lord. You're acting as a priest. It's liturgy. It's worship. It's glorious. Let me say it this way and just link it to a heart for God and what that looks like. A heart for God shows itself in demonstrable acts of service and sacrifice for others. Let me say that again. This is what Paul is getting at. Do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for God? Paul had a heart for God and a heart for God shows itself in demonstrable acts of service and sacrifice for others. So Paul models a heart to serve. His heart was to serve Gentiles, like those in the Roman church whom he had been called to serve. Here's another thing that Paul models for us. He models a heart of humility. Paul says this in verse 17. He says, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Can we be proud? Can, we be, can I be proud, Pastor Tony? Can I boast in some stuff? I think so. Paul, Paul's not ashamed to boast here. He says, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work in God. And notice how he says it, though. I think the way he says it is really important. Because what is he proud in? What is he boasting in? In Christ Jesus, I'm proud of the work I've done for God. You've got to get that in Christ Jesus part down. You've got to know that's, that's the... That's the foundation of his boasting and what Christ Jesus has done through him. Other than that, there's no boasting. There's no boasting outside of Christ Jesus. In fact, the Greek is worded a little differently than this. Paul actually says here in verse 17, literally says, I have boasting in Christ Jesus toward God. I have boasting in Christ Jesus toward God. In other words, my boasting is not in myself, it's in God. We've looked at Places where Paul has said already, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Can we boast? Yeah, you can boast. Boast in the Lord. Don't boast in yourself. Paul's showing us how to do that here. He's, there's actually a way in which to show humility through boasting. But it's not in boasting in yourself, it's in boasting in God. Paul says in verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Martin Luther said once, we preach always Christ. This may seem a limited and monotonous subject, likely to be soon exhausted, but we are never at the end of it. I've been preaching Christ for 13 plus years. I'm not tired of it yet. I'm going to keep doing it. Paul says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. There's a kind of boasting that's actually done in humility. There is. There's, there's actually a way that you can be humble by boasting. You want to learn about this? You can be humble and at the same time boast. You know how you do that? You boast in Christ. You boast in Christ. Don't ever, 
The Bible doesn't say don't ever boast because that's prideful. The Bible says boast in the right things because that's humble. The Bible tells us to boast in Christ Jesus as an outworking of our humility. Let me ask you, Harvest Decatur, let's just think back. 13 plus years here, all the work that God has done. Has God done some great things here at this church in the last 13 years? Has he now? Do we have some reason to boast in what God has done? Would we ever get together and say, boy, we really got a lot done with our can-do attitude? No! We boast in Christ and what he's done here. And he has done great things here. I mean, just thinking about it, the, the lives changed, the way he's reached people through our ministry, the way that he has given us this building, allowed us to meet as a church, grow as a church. It baffles the mind. I boast in Christ Jesus for that. God has done that. And I know the temptation, the temptation in my heart, because I mean, I've, I've given my life to this. To start to look inward and start to celebrate what I've done or what we've done. And that's a mistake. Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, Verse 19, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. This is good, y'all. This is Trinitarian, what Paul does in verse 19. Paul's not just giving credit to Christ here. He's also giving Christ the Holy Spirit, giving, giving credit to the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's, that's further humility. Paul says, all glory to Christ and all glory to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me that made these things happen. You know, just think about the book of Acts for a moment. You know, the book of Acts, right? All these amazing things. Paul, Paul talks about going from Jerusalem to Illyricum. He's everywhere in between, all these travels. You think about the book of Acts. A lot of people refer to the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. Y'all have heard that before, right? The Acts of the Apostles. I, that is not the right way to refer to that book. Because I'll just tell you, the apostles are not even the main character in that book. You know who the main character in that book is? It's the Holy Spirit, and, and I'll prove it to you. I mean, the whole, I mean, at first, the, the, the characters keep changing. You've got Peter and John, the other disciples, and then they just, like, disappear. And then it's, it's Stephen and Philip, and then they just disappear. And then it's back to Peter and John, and then they disappear again, and then it's to Paul for the rest of the book. Like, what is the thread that's keeping all of this together with all these changing characters? You know who the thread is? You know who's keeping all of that together? The Holy Spirit is. It's the act of the Holy Spirit. The acts of the Holy Spirit is what that book is. And Paul says here, I celebrate. I, I, I acknowledge what has happened. It's been the Holy Spirit working through me that has accomplished all of these things. From Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. By the way, Paul, this mention of Illyricum, if you don't know, that's a region of the Roman Empire on the east side of the Adriatic Sea, modern-day Croatia, modern-day Bosnia, modern-day Albania. And it was approximately 1,400 miles from Jerusalem. 1,400 miles. And Paul, it wasn't like he just went from Jerusalem to Illyricum and then back again. I mean, it was like, if you read the book of Acts. He's here and there and that, that place over here, back over here. All around in, in circuitous routes, he went in this region of the world to preach the gospel, to minister to heathen Gentiles like you and me and tell them about Jesus. 
And it's not like he was traveling coach on United Airlines either, by the way. It's not like he was staying in three and four star hotels as he was traveling about from Jerusalem to Illyricum to preach the gospel. Paul's travel involved great hardship, even threats to his life. Some of y'all are probably familiar with this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's a little sample of what Paul went through to get the gospel to Gentiles. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all of the churches. Who would sign up for that? Why would he do that? Why would Paul go through that? I'll tell you why. Because he had a calling from the Lord. Because he had a heart from the Lord. And the Lord said, go. Go to these Gentiles. They're going to die in their sins unless you go preach the gospel there. And Paul willingly set aside his own comfort. And, and even being around people who were like him. Jews, you know. To obey the calling that God put on his life. Because he loved the Lord that much. And all of his successes, too. I mean, I, there's a list that long of Paul's successes, too, by the way. Just read the book of Acts. People getting saved all over the place. It's nuts. All of his successes, successes Paul says, it's not anything that I did. It's because of what Christ has done through me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit coursing in my veins, making this possible. Paul boasted in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he models for us here a heart of humility. So, a heart for God is a heart to serve, is a heart of humility. And thirdly, here's another thing Paul models for us he models a heart for the gospel. Paul says this in verse 20. And thus. Paul says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Thusly, because of that, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is Isaiah 52, verse 15. Paul's quoting a very important section of Isaiah, the servant, suffering servant of Isaiah, with direct messianic references to Christ. Paul says, I made it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Now, we need to be careful with this passage just as we interpret it because there's a distinction between those passages that are descriptive and those passages that are prescriptive. Y'all have heard me say that before. So I don't think that Paul is saying here that every one of us, like him, need to go to that place where Christ has not been named. 
Paul's not prescribing that for us. He's just describing his calling, what he's been called to. He's being autobiographical here, not giving us a command for what the church should do. But I will say this, and I hope you see this. I am so glad for the 2,000 years of Christian missionaries who have taken the gospel to places where Jesus has not been named. Aren't y'all thankful for that? I mean, Illyricum is 1,400 miles from Jerusalem. How far is Decatur from Jerusalem? Thousands more. So, yeah, maybe this passage isn't telling all of us that we need to go find a place where Christ isn't named and preach the gospel, but I'm glad some of us do that. And I'm glad that some people throughout church history have done that. This may seem non-relevant to you. Let me make it a little more relevant. The only reason that you have received the gospel as a pagan Gentile, is because somebody had the courage to step out and go to some place where Christ has not been named. That's the reason that you stand here saved this morning. Because multiple people, including the Apostle Paul, went where Jesus wasn't named. You're the beneficiaries of that. I'll give you some examples. If you're Scottish like me, you can thank a missionary named Columba from the 6th century. Columba, not Columbo. That's a different person. That's Peter Falk. In the 6th century, a, a man named Columba went to preach to pagan, idol-worshipping Scotsmen, a.k.a. my ancestors, and preached Christ where he was not named. If you're Irish... You can thank a man named Patrick who first took the gospel to Ireland. People celebrate him once a year on St. Paddy's Day by getting riotously drunk and dying the Chicago River Green. We remember him mythologically as the man who chased snakes out of Ireland. He didn't do that. Instead, he was the man who brought the gospel to pagan, idol-worshipping Celts. Those who are Indian can thank the British Baptist missionary William Carey who took the gospel to parts of India in the 18th century. Actually, there's good evidence that Thomas the Apostle went to India 2,000 years ago. William Carey went there in the 18th century while other people were going to harvest tea and export it. He went to teach people about Jesus and preach the gospel. Another Baptist missionary, an American named Adoniram Judson, took the gospel to Burma. Not long after that, he lost his wife, he lost his family, he almost lost his mind doing it. But he had a burning passion in his heart, placed there by God to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named. Another missionary named C.T. Studd took the gospel to Central Africa. He was the most famous athlete in the world in his day. He was a, a cricket player. He was the LeBron James of cricket And he he left it all behind in England to go to Central Africa, to the Congo, and to tell people about Jesus. C.T. Studd, you can read about him. He's the person who said this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed, 
Only what's done for Christ will last. If you're German, you can be thankful for an Irish missionary named Columbanus who brought the gospel to pagan Germans. If you're Slavic, you can thank two missionaries named Cyril and Methodius who brought the gospel to Slavic people. If you're East Asian, you can thank missionaries like Francis Xavier, Matthew Ritchie, Hudson Taylor. If you're Native American, you can thank missionaries like John Elliott and David Brainerd. We are the beneficiaries of these missionaries and others, like the Apostle Paul, who were dead set on getting the gospel to places where Christ was not named. And, and I just want to say that for the benefit of everybody here at Harvest Decatur, including the young ones who are listening right now, we need more missionaries like that who are willing to say, I'm going to go where Christ has not been named. Or I'm going to go to another part of this world where the gospel is less prevalent than the United States and churches are less prevalent than the United States. Quite frankly, we need missionaries to go to Turkey right now, where the Apostle Paul was from, where at one time there was a vibrant gospel witness, and now there are, there's a scarcity of churches there. We need people to go to places like Europe as missionaries. Because in Europe today, you are praised for being a modern-day secular atheist who doesn't believe in anything, and you are ridiculed for being a Christian. We need people in the United States of America that are passionate about the gospel right now too. I don't know if you heard about this, but for the first time in our church, in our country's history, we have a majority of people who are unaffiliated with the church congregation. That has never before happened in the history of our country. That's where we are in 2021. You know what we need more than anything? You know what we need more than anything? We need men and women who are passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that means staying here in Harvest, at Harvest Decatur in Decatur, Illinois, and being passionate about sharing the gospel with others, praise God, let's do that. You be that person. Maybe for some in here it means, like Paul, going to the place where Christ hasn't been named. You know what God wants of you? You know what God expects? He expects you to have a heart for the gospel because that's his heart. That's God's heart. I want to have a heart for God. I want to love God and love the things that God loves. And God loves when his gospel is preached and shared with others. May God give us that as a church, I pray a passion for that, a passion for the Lord, a heart for God, a heart for the gospel, a heart of humility, a heart to serve. Amen, I'll close with this. Let me just circle back with what I started with. So yeah, I mentioned earlier that that experience I had when I was in college, when the Lord showed up in such an amazing way. And I think back to that experience often when life gets hard in this world. 
and, and think about my calling. And, and would it surprise you to know that 2020 and 2021 has had a lot of hard days as a pastor? Would that surprise anybody in this room? A lot of hard days for us as elders trying to think about how do we serve the Lord? How do we lead this church? I've spent a lot of time thinking about this is what I was called to do. This is, this was that calling that God put on my life. And, and, you know, it has been hard in the last year and a half because it's not like they had a class at seminary. Like, how do you navigate a pandemic for the church? I never took that class if they had it. So I go back to that calling in college a lot, but I want you to know that wasn't, that wasn't the time in life that I got saved. I actually got saved in grade school when very simply I, I put my faith in Christ. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I, knew I needed salvation. And yet it wasn't until later. It wasn't until college. It wasn't until the glorious 1990s that God got a hold of my heart and and fully transformed me for ministry. And I, I read a quote this last week that perfectly summarized what I went through. This is a quote from Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright. He says the following. He says, we ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question is, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? Let me read that again. We ask, where does God fit in the story of my life? That sounds very American, right? I'm going this direction. I got this. Come on, God. Come with me. I got plans. We ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question is, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? When I think back to what happened to me in college, that's when my understanding of God and myself flipped. There was no longer, come on, God, come do this thing with me because I got this plan. It was like, no, Lord, what's your plan for my life? I want to do what you want me to do. That's when it switched. And, and I'll just succinctly summarize what God did in my heart with one word, one amazing word. It's the word surrender. I surrendered myself fully to him whatever you want God and you know what I yeah there's been some tough days over the last couple years I have never ever regretted surrendering my life to the Lord ever since I did that in you know the late 1900s I mean it's it's been a wild ride. I didn't even know where Decatur, Illinois was in the late 90s. And, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's, it's been, it hasn't been a bed of roses. Ups and downs and challenges. But it's been fantastic. And I don't ever, ever, ever regret surrendering everything to the Lord. And I still, like I said, I still do it every day. I keep telling the Lord every day, here's my life, Lord. Use it for your purposes. Here are my talents, Lord. 
employ them for your kingdom. Here's my time left on earth, Lord. Less time than I used to have. And I don't know how much time I have left. But here it is, Lord. Everything that I have, use it for your purposes. I surrender. Here's my question for you. Have you done that? Have you surrendered yourself fully to the Lord? Have you said, here's my life, Lord. Here's my talents. Here's my abilities. Here's my gifts. Here's everything you've given me. Here are my days left. I don't know how many days I have left. We're all going to be dead soon. Y'all realize that? Here's what I have left. Use it for your purposes, Lord. I surrender fully to you. I'll go anywhere you want me to go and do anything you want me to do. I want to invite you to do that right now. Bow with me in prayer. Maybe somebody in this room needs to get saved right now. Maybe you find yourself at a loss to know the meaning of life, the purpose of life, why you're here, why you're in this church, why you're watching this service right now. The Bible says very clearly that we are sinners condemned in our sinfulness and that by faith in Jesus Christ we can be saved. Belief in his death on a cross for our sin and his resurrection from the grave. If you have never put your faith in Christ And do that right now. And maybe you're here this morning and you have believed, you have been saved, but like me, like I said, my own experience in college, you're trying to fit God into your plan instead of surrendering your plan to him. I want to challenge you right now to fully surrender to the Lord. Just tell the Lord, Lord, here I am. You know me better than I know myself. You know my gifts. You know my abilities. You know the number of my days. You know the, the numbers of hairs on my head, Lord. All that I am, all that I have, I surrender fully to you.
Lord, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his heart for God, his heart for you, his heart to serve, his heart of humility, his heart for the gospel. Lord, give us that as a church, I pray. Lord, I offer up Harvest Decatur and the people here this morning. We collectively, as your church, surrender to you. Use us for your purposes. For most of us, Lord, that means keep doing what we're doing. Keep ministering to our children. Keep ministering to our spouse. Keep ministering to people in our church. Keep ministering to people in our community. And Lord, for those who are listening right now, who you are calling to something else, you are calling to to ministry, to mission work, to maybe even preach Christ where he has not yet been named. God, confirm that, strengthen that conviction, work by your Holy Spirit to, to draw that man, that woman, into that ministry, I pray. And help us as a church to be supportive in whatever ways we can. To encourage one another in the use of our gifts and our ministry to one another and to the world, I pray. Lord, we love you. We surrender to you. You are our God. And we give you all the glory, all the praise. We boast in Christ for what you've done in our lives and in this church. We boast in you. Amen.